guys. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman. This week, I have my friend Meredith joining me. She is a columnist here at Radiant, co-founder of Ideas Collective, and an incredible writer all around. I'm a huge fangirl. Before we dive into the episode, I'd love to share a fun opportunity with you guys. Each and every month, we're going to be providing a free download for you. And this month, Meredith has put together a guide for getting started with your blog. I know so many of you are trying to figure out, what do I do next? How do I start? And she has put together a free downloadable, a PDF that's a quick read just for you. So I totally encourage you to read it. It's linked in the show notes. It's a free download and it's our gift to you. So thanks, Meredith, for putting that together. Now let's get started. Hey, Meredith. Hi. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. So for those listening, I've been your biggest fangirl in writing since you lived on another continent. So I would love for you to start by kind of sharing your story and how you got to where you are. You know, the story of us meeting too would be fun in there and then... (laughs) We'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm a born and raised Nashville girl. Um, I love this city so much and cannot imagine calling anywhere else home. Um, so grew up here, went to college in West Tennessee uh, and got a degree in nursing because I always knew that I wanted to be in the medical field. I always really loved writing too. My dad's actually a songwriter. So that was kind of, like, it's kind of always been in my blood, but um, loved writing. And actually, ironically, my sophomore year, I had a professor that pulled me aside. It was like some like, I don't know, history class or something. And all the tests were essays. And everyone, this like professor was notorious for just being so hard. And so I go into my first test thinking, I'm just totally going to bomb this. There's no hope. And I got like a 98 on the test or something crazy. And I'm not the most genius person. So this was kind of shocking to me. And so he pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, what is your major? I told him it was nursing. And he was like, you should really reconsider doing something more along the lines of journalism or English. And I was like, no, nothing. (laughs) So anyways, but that was one of the first times that outside of, um, you know, outside of my dad and, um, you know, just growing up watching his world of writing that I actually kind of got any confirmation that it's like, okay, maybe, maybe you're not such a bad writer after all. Um, so anyways, but I, you know, I wanted to do nursing. That's what my passion was. That's what my love was. So graduated, um, and then moved back to Nashville. Um, and then along with all that, I've been dating this boy since I was about 16 and we got married the following spring after we graduated. So, um, kind of like planted ourselves in Nashville, um, got jobs. Um, he's out, he's a nurse too. Uh, funny, funny story about that too. But anyway, so got jobs. He was working in the ER. I was working in an ICU, um, loved what we were doing. And then, um, we had always kind of talked about and dreamed about living abroad and doing medical missions to some to some extent. And so, uh, when the time, so we graduated, you know, like your standard millennial had thousands of dollars in student loans. So we're like, all right, it's time to, time to, you know, buckle down and get this, get this out of the way. So we, um, for the first year that we were married, pretty much just like hammered out paying off our debt. So, um, and during that time we're always talking about, okay, well, when we're debt free, we'll look at going abroad and, it was like one day we looked up and it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be debt free next month. This is the time. If we're going to go, we need to, we need to do it. So started looking into some different opportunities, talking to different um, organizations that we knew of. And um, 
it's, you know, so funny how God just orchestrated your life because the, well, neither one of us worked in pediatrics. I had no desire to ever work in the pediatrics. <laughs> not my, not a thing. Um, I have huge respect for nurses that do, but um, that was definitely not what I was going to be doing. So, um, had all these opportunities that sounded like they were right up our alley with what he loved and with what I loved. Um, but they just like, at the end of the day, they just didn't feel right. And I was like, this is weird. I mean, are you even supposed to be doing this? So, an opportunity came along for us to um, work for a nonprofit organization that provides medical and surgical care for the pediatric orphan population in China. And um, when this opportunity presented itself, it was a pretty quick no from both of us because we were like, um, no, hello, it's pediatrics and we're not going to live in China. Just that's a definite, definite no. So um, we, you know, said no pretty quickly. And then, um, you know, just again, it's just funny what God does and how he works. But uh, we ended up moving to China and um, worked as uh, as nurses over there caring for these little kiddos. Um, and it was a really it was it was the most challenging season of our lives individually and together. Um, but also just one of the most growing seasons and a season that I never want to go back to, but that I'm immensely grateful for. Um, and it was kind of while I was in China. Um, so just to give you a little picture of what it was like, we lived and worked at the hospital that we were at. Um, the kids were pretty sick too. And so we needed to stick close. Um, because even when we, we would do rounds in the morning and evening, and even when we weren't actively, you know, there in rounds, we needed to stick pretty close in case something happened. And so, um, we, so we just, we really didn't ever leave much. We would go to the market to get our groceries. We'd go here and there sometimes, but we stuck pretty close. And so, um, I just ended up filling my time with, um, I started writing a book while I was there and I had started a blog in college and done it, you know, pretty infrequently. And so I was like, well, this will be a good time, you know, to kind of relaunch that and, you know, get back into writing. Cause I loved it so much. And it ended up being super therapeutic while I was over there, um, just to kind of have an outlet that was so different from the work that we were doing. Um, and so that is how we ended up meeting. I, relaunched my blog, uh, in 2015, posted this article about, um, how I just nagged my husband to death and, um, how to stop doing that basically. And I guess you guys stumbled across it and reached out and, um, we were overseas at the time, obviously. So we were like, let's get coffee when we get back. Um, came back that fall and, um, yeah. And I think we met at barista parlor one day, had coffee, totally hit it off. It was awesome. And, um, yeah. And then that's, and then when you launched Radiant, you so kindly called and asked if I would be your marriage columnist, which I was like so flattered and talk about fangirl. Oh my gosh. I'm totally your fangirl. fangirl. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So we moved back from China, um, bought a house in Nashville and we're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to stay, we're going to hunker down. This is, this is our home. Um, and, uh, yeah, I work in the ER now, which is really bizarre in a lot of ways because you kind of have two people you're either like an ICU nurse at heart or you're an ER nurse and they don't really go you know they're kind of two totally different breeds um but I I love it um I work at a level one trauma center and it's the best job in the world I just love it um yeah so I do that and I write and um and we live in Nashville with our puppy named Lady who's a total rascal most days but we love her and 
yeah, so that's that's kind of the short version. Well, you also have a side hustle that's really turning into a pretty cool thing called yeah, Ideas that, Collective. Yeah, so that's another thing, too. Um, so my husband and I, along with um, his brother and his brother's wife, so my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, we started this little side gig called Ideas Collective. And it was born out of our time in China. We used to FaceTime with them while we were there. And the day we called him to say, hey, we're coming home. This is when we're coming home. His brother said, I'm so excited that you guys are coming home. That way we can all just hang out and talk about our ideas. And we kind of were joking about it. We're like, yes, please, let's have ideas time because none of us know what we want to do with our lives. We don't know what we want to be when we grow up. So it kind of started out by that. But we so we started meeting every other week and just kind of talking about like the, you know, just kind of the struggle of like figuring out how to be an adult and being a millennial entering into the professional world and graduating from college with a degree that you're like, wait, do I even want to work in this field? Is this what I love? Is this what I'm passionate about? Um, so it was, I was kind of just something that we started out just for the four of us to navigate the adult world and our professional lives. Um, and what we found is that it was really really impactful for us. We asked a couple friends to jump in and join our group, kind of did a beta group to see if it would go anywhere. But, um, but yeah, so now it's like almost, well, it's like a year and a half later. It's, it's a, it's small business. And we, um, we offer a four month curriculum and coaching for people anywhere from, I mean, all across the board of people that are like, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up to people that have an idea uh, but they just don't know how to, they don't know how to do it. They don't have the resources. So, and it's, it's fun. Cause we all four kind of have, we all four have day jobs that we do. Um, my brother-in-law, Ryan is a realtor. Um, my sister-in-law, Cassie works uh, for Dave Ramsey and my husband and I, obviously we work um, as nurses, but it's fun. Cause everyone kind of has their own little specialty and things that they're good at, things that they're knowledgeable at. And yeah, it's just fun. We just help people figure out what they want to be when they grow up. So I love it. And I'd say that it's not, it's even beyond that, you know, like I want to make a change in, you know, the services I'm offering and you guys have helped me walk through that together. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, Ideas Collective is valuable for any season of life you're in. It really is. And we found even just in the time that we've done it, we just go back to, you know, we go back to the curriculum and we do it ourselves. And we do all, you know, we do these exercises to figure out, you know, okay, with my 168 hours that I have in a week, what am I actually doing with it? Where am I wasting time? What is my actual margin time? Um, yeah, so it's it's really, it's cool. It, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun fun thing. It gives us a lot of life and it's so fun to see other people come to life too when they have an idea or they can get structure or they can just get help kind of moving in in a direction of their dreams. So, yeah. I would I would love for you to share the story about I think it's the writer that y'all worked with. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so this is cool. So she, um, Gracie graduated, um, with a degree, I believe it was in English or something and just wanted to be a writer. Um, but you know, when you graduate as a millennial and you have thousands of dollars in debt you just need a, you just need a job. So anyways, she started writing for, um, she came on board with a realtor to kind of manage 
social media, but also to manage her blog and write articles and kind of keep up her newsletter to reach out to her email audience. Um, and she really just didn't love it. Um, it wasn't, you know, she didn't hate writing about real estate or anything, but it just turned out that she ended up being more of like an administrative assistant. Um, and then like just some weird things started happening. Like her boss wanted her to write the articles, but then, you know, her boss wanted her name to be on it so that it looked like she wrote it. And the girl, Gracie is kind of like, that's not okay. Cause that's my work and I'm not going to put your name on it. So anyways, after a lot of conversations with her boss that she really wasn't making any progress, um, and talking about it in ideas collective, I remember Justin asked her, um, he was like, well, Gracie, what's your, you know, what's your value as a writer? And cause part of it too, is she wasn't getting, she wasn't getting paid a ton and was needing to make a change financially because a raise that had been promised just wasn't coming through. And so, Justin asked her one day, um, he said, what's your, what's your value as a writer? Are you getting paid right now? What's your worth? And she was like, no, I don't think so. And, and he said, all right, well, give, give me a dollar amount. What do you think you should be making? And she was super hesitant to answer. And she was like, well, I don't even know what she said, but she was like, I would really love to be making this. And so, um, at, at the, you know, at the heart of her, she's not like, she doesn't have an entrepreneur's heart. Like she's not wanting to launch her own business and like, you know, do the whole thing. She just wanted to have a job where she could do what she loved and, and get paid to do what, what she did, um, or get paid, you know, what she was worth. And so anyways, so she started looking around to make, um, make a job change. And she came across a position at Dave Ramsey for one of their staff writers and, interviewed, um, and got hired on. So she's a full-time staff writer now. She's making double what she did. And, you know, I think part of like all the rage this days with millennials is like, quit your job, be an entrepreneur, live your dreams. And the funny thing is, is I tell people every day, I'm like, don't quit your job. Don't do that until it's the most logical next step until it just doesn't make sense for you to keep your current job. Um, and so for her ideas collective wasn't even about like, you know, pursue your side hustle and make it a business and go out on your own and quit your job. It was like, let's transition into a job that is doing exactly what you want to be doing and that you're getting paid to do that too. So anyways, that's the story of, of Gracie and, um, and getting a job as a writer for her that she loves now and is awesome. So yeah, that's one thing I love about you and Justin is that y'all do take risks, but you're, you make really wise decisions in a natural progression. So, you know, you paid off quite a bit of debt before moving. I mean, you both went to really great schools yeah. into private schools, right? We, um, we did. We both went to private school. We were super fortunate, had a lot of help from our parents, had scholarships, but you know, college education will just blow a hole in your bank. And so that's what it did for us. And so we graduated as these 22 year old kids, uh, got married, you know, nine months after we graduated and we had $54,000 in debt to our name. And I can't, like, I still looking back at that time, I'm like, I didn't think I could conceptualize how much money that was. It's just so much money. And I think when you're 18 years old and you're signing over these papers, when you're sitting in this big meeting with all these college kids about, you know, loans and stuff, you have no idea what kind of money you're taking, you know, you're taking loans out on. And so, yeah, so we, um, but you know, we came from, um, families who are both very, uh, 
they're very solid financially, very wise in their decision-making and instilled a lot of really old school principles in us about finances. And, you know, you save, you pay with cash, um, you know, just a lot of no nonsense stuff. And so when we graduated, we were like, okay, I think at this point in life, being the best steward of what God has given us in terms of, you know, he's given us the ability to go to college and earn a degree doing something that we love. Now being the best steward of our time is to, you know, is to pay this, is to pay this off. So we actually, we kicked that out in 13 months. And looking back now, I think what in the, like, do we even ever go out to dinner at one point? Um, but the funny thing is, is like, you know, I look back at that life, that, that year of our life and it was our first married year. We had so much fun. We went on a couple really fun trips together. Um, but we really did. We just buckled down and, and paid it off. And, um, and it's allowed us so much more freedom now in our mid to late twenties to just really to have options, um, and to take steps and directions. Um, so yeah, that's, Man, I I just think so highly of you guys because you're not you're not encouraging people to make reckless decisions. You've walked this out yourselves, and you're encouraging people to yes pursue their dreams, but in a healthy and appropriate way that will um, equip them to carry it out with longevity, not crash and burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that I mean, that's totally it. Like I like I said, I tell people, I'm like the the goal is not to quit your job. If you hate your job then let's find a job doing what you love or find a way to make money as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur. But I always look at my dad as like one of my just golden standard for, you know, the example of everything I want to embody personally and professionally. But he, um, he and my mom moved to Nashville in the late eighties and he worked full time as um, a staff worship leader and um, youth minister for eight years before he got his first writing contract. And, um, and the funny thing was, is, you know, being on church staff, you have weird days off. So Thursdays were always his day off. And I was like, why is my dad never home on Thursday? This is his day off. And I didn't realize that I was older. It's because what he was doing on his days off was he was booking writing sessions with people and he was writing songs in the meantime. And he would stay up till two o'clock in the morning writing songs, and then eight years of faithfully waking up every day to do the work that he loved, he ended up getting a full-time writing contract and has been, he's been a staff songwriter for years, which is really, you know, he's not a, um, he's not a singer. He's not a, he doesn't even like, he's not a, um, you know, he doesn't do any kind of studio sessions, any recording. He's just simply a songwriter, which is unheard of now in Nashville still, but, um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that yeah you you don't just you don't quit your job and say hey I'm going to become a songwriter. He had four little girls and a wife, and that's just that's unwise at that point. So well, I think that's really encouraging though for people who are listening and think, man, I can't do it. Like I can't, there's no way. It's not logical. It's not smart. And and the reality is, is there is a way to do it. It's really a sacrifice of time. Yeah, absolutely. So. Man, so you guys still work your day job. And and what I love when you talk about it is is you truly love your job. I do. And so you're not, you're, and, and I think people think it's all or nothing. Like you can only do, you know, the goal is to quit if you have this create, creative side. And you do, like you're one of the best writers I know, which we'll talk about that in a minute. But you you've really mastered, you get to fulfill this place in your heart where you get to do nursing, you know, 
40 hours a week, but you also make time and have a schedule that you kind of structured, made choices in order to structure it in such a way to really make time for both. Can you kind of touch on that and, and what it looks like to still love your job? It's not bad. I think we glorify quitting your job. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, my husband, Justin and I, our conversations about our, you know, our job at, you know, in the ER and, you know, our work on the side minus the rider and ours with ideas collective is it's like our, what we want is to wake up every day and do work that we love. And so, and I think that that's, everyone can say that nobody wants to wake up and work doing something that they hate or that's boring. Um, and so for us, it's really, you know, we love working in the ER. And so the day that I wake up and I no longer love doing that, then I'm not going to do it anymore. But I love it now. The day that I wake up, if there ever is a day, and I think I really hate writing, I don't want to do this anymore, then I will figure out a way to make money another way that's not that. But um, yeah, we, we just like glorify quitting our jobs so much. And I think is, um, as millennials, we've kind of, we've lost a little bit of, well, we've lost a lot of the values and the responsibility and the discipline that I think our grandparents so much have in their lives. Um, and I think even our parents and, um, still loving your day job. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So still loving, still loving, you know, your day job, but also loving what you're doing on the side. And, and it's not, it's not the easiest thing. Like it's, it's kind of, I would imagine it's probably just easier to do one or the other, you know, to have your day job and that's all you do or to quit your job and do your side hustle. But when, you know, when you don't, when you don't go about it that way, you have to figure out a way to balance your life in terms of your commitments to your day job. And then, you know, hustling, hustling on the side to make, make the other things that you love and that you dream about happen in the meantime. Um, And I'm not always the best at balance, but it's something that I've realized if you want to, if you want to wake up every day and do what you love, you've got to, you've got to make sacrifices somewhere. There are trade-offs that you make. Um, and you know, an easy one is like one of my trade-offs is I just, I I set an alarm in the morning and I get up and a lot of people that work 12 hour plus shifts know that that is not the easiest thing to do. Um, it's not the most desirable thing to do, but you know, when you, it's, it's, it's totally worth it. That's, that's really the best thing that I know to say is it's just, it's worth it in the end. So, so would you say a trade-off for you guys is working three days, but 12 out, 12 plus hours those days in order to have more, um, open space and margin on four days off to create. Yeah. And it's funny. I think, um, like when we were, when we were living in China, we worked every day. So we didn't have like, you know, we didn't do this standard nurse gig where you work 12 hour shifts and then you have you work three days a week and have four off. Um, and so when I was writing this book that I'm still currently working on, um, I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning, three days a week, and write for two hours before we started rounds. And now I think, what in the world? I don't even know how I did that. But um, but I've realized, too, everyone kind of finds their rhythm of how they work best. And some people do. They're so schedule-oriented. They need, like, you know, they write it on their calendar. Like, I'm, these are my writing days. I'll get up early or, you know, I'll come home from work and I'll spend this time. I just have realized that I need, I need like, the time and the space for the creative side of me to really 
flourish. Um, but I also need like, I need the structure of my job in the ER and I, I need that so much. It's funny. I tell people often that working in the ER, I think makes me a better writer and being a writer makes me a better ER nurse. And the things totally don't seem to connect in any ways, but when I go, when I go to work, it's just so tactile. And so like, I just use my, the left side of my brain all day. And I love it. I love traumas. I love taking care of sick patients. I just love getting in there and working hard with my hands. And then I love my days off where I just, I say my days off, but my, my writing days or my side hustle days where I just totally use the right side of my brain. And it's just so fun in two totally different ways. And I think both of them really balance out the other side well and make me the best, the best at both. So, yeah, I think when you're making room to stay fulfilled um, and kind of the different facets of your heart, it's just better all around. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we talked a little bit or you touched on balance. Do you think it's a real tangible thing? Like, do you think that it's possible to live with balance or do you think it's kind of like you're always going to be sacrificing one area of your life? I think, oh my gosh, I think it's a journey. I think it's a process um, that, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. I think for women and body image, it's a process and you're not going to arrive at a place where you're content with your body and where you love it. Um, and I think balance is really similar. Like it's just a process and it's going to look different in different seasons and some seasons you're going to do really well and some you are not going to do well at all. But um, I think I think part of balance is sacrifice um, and you're going to have to trade, you know, you're going to have to trade things off. And we've definitely, we've definitely done that. But I think it's real. I think it's possible. I think it's really challenging though. <laughs> totally. I, I like I like you saying that it's a journey as well because, you know, you hear a few lines of thoughts, you know, you hear people talking about balance and kind of the quest for it. But then you also hear people say, it's not possible. You're either going to sacrifice, like sometimes your work's going to be the highest priority. Sometimes your family's going to be that and it's never possible. And that's a little defeating. And so I think just as long as you're kind of on the journey and on working towards it, pre- making um, healthy choices to prioritize, you know, what's most important. Yeah. Um, really is what it's all about. So with writing, you write a lot about marriage, which I love. I mean, I remember, I remember where I was sitting. It sounds like a love story. (laughs) Um, I remember where I was when I first read your article, someone had shared it and it was just floating around Facebook. And, um, I was like, Whoa, this girl, like, you know, when you read something that like, you've never been able to articulate that way, but it resonates so deeply. And I went down the rabbit hole of just reading all of your posts and you were living in China. And I was like, oh my gosh, like every married woman needs to read these gir- this girl's writing. Like it resonates so deeply. It's, it's pieces and topics that I find that most every married couple goes through and it's so well articulated, so raw, so vulnerable. So what kind of ignited your like passion to write about marriage and what has that journey been? So I always tell people, so the reason I write about marriage, I just write about all the things that we suck at and all the ways that we screw up and then just tell people. (laughs) But, um, But kind of in all seriousness, a lot of it's just like, it's, it's our journey that I really believe at the end of the day, like we are not the only couple that 
like is that sucks at communication sometimes, or we're not the only couple that fights about this or, you know, that really doesn't, you know, that really struggles in this area. Um, and I think that that is just overall in life. That's one of the biggest lies that we believe is that we are alone or that nobody else gets it or that nobody else has ever walked that same journey. Um, and I, you know, a lot of it is really, it's really vulnerable to talk about, you know, all the ways that you suck. And like when you write about, you know, how you've just nagged your husband to death or how you've just been a horrible wife and, um, and your journey of like trying to learn to love someone else and like what actually grace is and what it looks like. And, um, you know, some days having grace really makes you feel like you're losing, um, and you're, you know, and it, and it's hard, but I, um, you know, that's, that's really been one of the biggest things for me is a lot of the outpouring of that is just that I, I don't, I don't believe that we're the only ones. And I believe if we're not the only ones, that means that there's a lot of other couples. Um, and I, I think probably my writing is more geared towards young married couples, more kind of like the millennials our age, cause that's just the season of life that we're in. But, um, but just, you know, that if we're not the only ones, I bet there's thousands of other couples out there that share the same struggles and are navigating the same, the same part of life, just trying to figure, figure out how to love one another, how to have grace, how to, how to wake up every day and, and, and be a new person and, and love them as the person that they're becoming. So, well, one thing I love about you too, as, as just having you guys as genuine friends, Mm -hmm. I love that you guys are always, um, like growing in your self-awareness together. You don't find many couples who are both willing to do that. Um, And, you know, David just had it coming for him, my husband. I mean, our kids are going to be psychoanalyzed, you know. (laughs) Thankfully, he's reading the Enneagram book with me now. I mean, there's no way he could have married me and gotten out alive without, you know, without doing some self-awareness exercises. But I, I love, like, even more so than than what we do. Like you guys are so intentional about growing together. I mean, I love the marriage group you you guys are part of. Like I would love to talk about like intentionality in marriage, um, how the Enneagram has been impactful for you guys, all of that. Yeah. So, um, so we have the privilege, um, a couple of our longtime dear friends and um, they counseled us our entire time that we were in China. They were amazing. Um, they're, they're our parents age. They're in their fifties, but they, um, they launched this It's kind of like a beta group that they launched and it's called first five. And they, um, geared, it's geared towards couples that are in their first five years of marriage. And they just, and it's, it's a very biblical foundation, but it's not like a marriage Bible study, um, which is awesome. And, you know, each month we'll have a different topic, like, one month we talked about different communication styles. One month we talked about, you know, the different ways that people respond in conflict. Um, you know, whether you're like a joker and you make light of things, whether you're a shark and you just come out and attack. Um, we've also gone over the Enneagram. Um, and it's just been so, it's been so amazing to have that, um, to have it led by a couple who's been married for 30 years, who's really walked so many seasons pouring into us and the other couples our age to help us grow in that awareness so much of who we are, because, you know, 
I tell people this so often. I think you think when you're in high school and college, you're figuring out who you are. And that is so not true. You actually, I think, figure out who you are when you're in your 20s and you grow up. And it's, I think that that's what makes marriage so challenging for you know, people that are in their twenties is you're now married to someone, but you're still growing up and you're still figuring out who you are. And so you're trying to do that together. And you're trying to do this weird dance of being married and being one with someone else, but not becoming like enmeshed and still having your defined, you know, person and personality in the way that your preferences and the way that you operate, but also you give yourself up for the other person. And so, um, yeah, so we we are we're so passionate about about self discovery. Sounds kind of weird, but just just learning more about who you are and how, and who you were created to be, and the way that that makes your marriage that much more beautiful, and the way that that can make your marriage that much more challenging. So, absolutely. And what are some of your favorite resources in that area? Like any books, podcasts? Um, I, well, I super love the Enneagram. Um, I was first introduced to that when I was 15, when I went to counseling for the first time. And I think it's just so, it's just such a great tool for people um, just to know how they, to understand themselves better, to understand their spouse better um, in terms of books. I'm trying to think some of the really impactful ones that I've read on marriage. I don't even know that it's ones that I've so much read about marriage as it is, um, you know, just books on, it sounds so dumb, but like self-awareness. Um, self-awareness goes a long way. It really does. Um, because, you know, half the time, like I, you know, I write about marriage a lot. I love, I love reading things about marriage, but what I've realized half the time is when you're in conflict or when you're in some kind of you know, challenging season with one another, like nine times out of 10, if you, if you just stop and focus on yourself and either how you're being selfish or how you could respond differently, that's just going to cover a multitude of, of issues in your marriage. Cause I think sometimes we can get so focused on like figuring out the other person and how they, you know, how they tick and what, you know, how we can change them and how they can, you know, stop doing this and start doing this. It would make us feel more loved. And nine times out of 10, if we just turn, turn the focus on ourselves and look inwardly to see, to reflect on, you know, our sin and our, you know, our shortcomings. That's really, that's really where change happens in marriage is not when you're trying to change each other, but when you focus on the change that needs to happen in your own heart. So absolutely. So one thing I'd love, love to talk about is I know your number, you're an eight, right? Yeah. Which is called the challenger. Yeah. What is it like? Okay, so in Enneagram world, and if you guys haven't taken the Enneagram test, or some people are very against a test, but I think they're helpful for the sake of clarification. Um, and if you read it and don't resonate with what you test as, look at your second highest number or your third, and you'll know when you read it. Sometimes a test doesn't perfectly score you, but I think it's helpful. Or you can just listen to descriptions and you'll you'll probably also know. But they say a lot that like our society loves male eights, but bucks up against female eights. What is your experience being essentially like a really strong woman? Oh my gosh. It is, you know, I really think until this past year of my life, I, I really, um, I really despised it and I've really not, not embraced who I was created to be. Um, 
and I just looked at all the negative parts of it. And, um, and like I said, I took the Enneagram for the first time when I was in high school and in counseling. And so obviously I was in counseling, there were some bad things going on and a lot of really negative manifestations of being an eight. Um, but you know, I've realized that I think it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Like I think a lot of times my greatest strengths are also my biggest areas, um, that I can fall into sin or, you know, I can, if I'm not using them in a resourceful way, I can just be really negative and cause a lot of destruction, um, leave a lot of destruction in my path. But it is, um, males that are eights are, are very attractive. And a lot of times as a female, I just end up feeling like a massive B word. Um, (laughs) and especially, especially in my job in the ER, um, you know, it's, it's, you have to find a way to be assertive and kind. Um, and you know, a big thing is, is that, you know, eights, you're, an eight is never going to let anyone walk over top of them. But so, but you know, as a woman, like that's not, that's not cool. Sometimes you need to be, especially as a wife, you need to be submissive and you need to be quiet and you need to be gentle and none of those words are words that I would ever use to describe myself. Um, but, but it's, you know, you learn, you learn that like, you know, what's, what's funny is, is that I, I think I grew up with a completely skewed picture of what submission meant in marriage. And, and it really hasn't been until these last couple of years that I've understood what it, what it is um, in light of my eightness for lack of a better term. But um but yeah, you, it's, yeah, women that are, that are eights, I think can get a bad rap. And Justin tells me all the time, he's like, I love, I love that you're an eight. He said, when you are, when you're the best version of yourself, you are unstoppable. And when you are being unresourceful, you can be really damaging. And it's, it's really true. Um, but I think that women that are eights, they have a lot to offer and a lot to bring to the table, it just takes a lot of awareness um, and just a journey of continuing to become a more just become emotionally healthy, um, and so that you, you're not acting out of your unhealthiness as an eight. So totally, and I mean, I, I definitely would say for I, I just really felt like it was important to talk about because I think we do have listeners who maybe are an eight, and you know. It, it it probably is really nice to be a female too because society wants women to be um, twos. And it's hard when you're not that. And some of my best friends are twos. I love twos, but I'm not. I have a, re- I'm a seven, but with a really strong wing eight to the point that some of my closest people have told me they think I'm an eight and I'm like, no, read seven, you know, they're like, oh, but to the point of like, you know, you're told you're too much or you're too blunt or you're too harsh. And it's really painful, um, navigating that. And like, how do I use my voice? Because it seems like people ask me to use my voice, but then don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) Or they ask you to use your voice in I think, I think it's so interesting to me seeing how certain numbers almost get exploited for what they're good at. And I think as at certain times as an eight, I felt exploited for my ability to use my voice and articulate. And I've been asked to do that in ways that I did not feel comfortable, or I felt like I was being used to voice something that was uncomfortable for other people to say, but yes, I totally, totally resonate with that. Yeah. It's really hard because it's like, okay, how, how do I, I mean, things I sit in counseling sessions about, about like 
how do I use my voice and how do I work through when, even if I delivered it kindly, just because I'm a girl who was blunt, how do I, um, and I'm not, you guys, I'm not, I'm not skating over. Like there've definitely been moments where my delivery is harsh, but even when it's not being asked my opinion and then someone doesn't like it because I told the truth, you know, some people would skirt around it and just avoid it. My, my husband would, he likes harmony and peace at all costs. And I'm, I am not a yet. I'm not going to just give you harmony and peace. If you know, you ask me for my truthful opinion. And so, um, that's been a big challenge for me because it's, I'm, you know, have become some people's token truth teller, but they don't like it when I tell the truth. And so that's been a big challenge for me of like, how do I navigate people who say they want truth, but they just want affirmation, but I'm probably not that girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, it's been really challenging for me because it feels like you're being told you're too much or yeah. why do you have to say that? Or, you know, it's like, I didn't ask for this, you know? <laughs> And so it's a, it's an interesting journey to navigate as, um, a certain, um, personality type. Sometimes you feel too big or too much. And, um, I think that does come with a level of self-awareness. Sometimes you need to know, like, you know, I talk about to my big personality friends all the time, like, you know, our challenge isn't speaking up. Ours is knowing when to stop talking about ourselves and ask other people in the room about themselves, you know? (laughs) Yes, or just want to shut up in general and just stop. Stop trying to drag your point home or, you know. Oh, man, girl, I can, I can drag my point home. Gosh, me too. It's, so <laughs> it's my worst quality. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really love hearing you talk about it because I'd say you and I, and I, I can't think of any friends off the top of my head that are as um, assertive. <laughs> As we are as females, because again, you know, things a man would say, even in the workplace, that's viewed as strong and powerful. Um, But things sometimes a woman would say that is the same thing because it's not soft or mean. It's viewed as a total B word. And and it's hard. It's hard knowing that you, even when you don't want to be, or even if you're asking, you just tell the truth, even in a nice way, it's hard to deal with, you know, you're being labeled. Yeah, totally. And it's hard too. I think as eights, you have a really strong justice streak. Um, and you just have a really like high, you just value integrity really highly in terms of like telling the truth, but also being truthful to who you are. And it's, it's sometimes really hard to maintain that what you feel is justice and integrity when you feel like it's going to be too much. And so it's this constant battle of feeling like who you are is too much. But then if you scale that back and you're not that person, then you're not even, you're not even who you are. And so it's a, it's a delicate balance to figure out constantly in communication. You know, how do I, how do I, how do I kindly articulate this? Um, you know, whether I'm asked for my opinion or how do I articulate the way I feel here in a gentle way, but that is still truthful. Um, I think that's one one big challenge for eights. Yeah, don't you wish some days that you could just be like, why can't I be the person that's just like, let it go? Oh my gosh, every freaking day. It must, it must be so nice. 
Oh my gosh. David will say, let it go. He'll sing, let it go to me. And I'm like, you know, I just like don't even know what it feels like to be able to do that. I'm learning. Yes. I think counseling sessions trying to figure it out. But for me, I don't know what look, letting go looks no, like. No, I don't either. It's so funny. Some days I'll come home from work and the blessing and the curse of Justin and I working in the same department is that we we totally get it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes we can, I can talk too much about work. And, um, and so, you know, some days I'll come home and I'll tell him this story of like, you would not believe this. And I just get so mad telling the story all over again, like the injustice of the situation, or I just could not believe that this would happen. And, <laughs> and every time he's like, Hey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm listening. You don't have to yell. Like I, I totally, I'm right here. And I'm like, I just, and he's like, yeah, that, you know, he's so like level headed. So he's such a steady, he's a perfect, perfect person for me, but he's just like, yeah, I, I totally get it. That is just, that's not okay. And that's not right. And that shouldn't have happened, but you know, you did what you could and I, I can't let it go. And he's like, you know, on to the next thing in life. And, and I'm just still over here, like boiling over about something, but yeah. David yeah. will say, your justice side is coming out. It's a little <laughs> heavy today. <laughs> Justin has said that to me before. He's like, are you feeling like you witnessed a really unjust situation? I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Like lose my mind all over again. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I love, I love the Enneagram and being able to laugh at what puts into words uh, so well things that are kind of subconscious that become like way more conscious when you kind of read um, these passages or hear interviews with people who really put into word um, the way you experience the world and the way you experience life. And it's been a, that has been a really valuable thing in my marriage because it's really enabled David and I to have compassion for one another and to understand that when each of us see something one way and we can't understand why the other would see it that way. Like we know that we know that we know we are right. But when we're able to step back a little, zoom out and know, and understand that like, oh, I actually know the lens through which he's seeing this. And I get why he feels that way. I don't feel that way, but I'm able to have compassion as to why he feels that way or vice versa. It's just been really transformative for us. Yes, I love that. I love that. And in business as well. And it's part of Meredith and Justin's curriculum with Ideas Collective. So you guys will definitely have to check out what they're doing there. Uh, So if people wanted to get involved with Ideas Collective or work with you guys, what does that look like? Yeah. So we have a couple different ways. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at Ideas Collective. And then we have a website as well. And it is the ideascollective.co, C-O. Um, and you can go on there and we would love to, we normally start with just a 30 minute free phone consult to kind of get to know people, um, ask them, you know, just some basic questions about who they are, what they're about, their strengths, their passions, um, kind of figuring out where people's strengths, passions and experience intersect and then going from there. So you can go on our website and, um, there is a portion where you can contact and we'll, um, we'll have one of our team members reach out to you and schedule a, schedule a phone call and then kind of go from there with getting a plugged in. So yeah, that's the easiest way to get in touch. How cool. So what would you say moving forward, your vision for ideas collective is, do you prefer to do it? I mean, you can do it in groups of people. That's your favorite way to do it, right? Gosh. So I think one of the, I think it's kind of challenging sometimes, and this goes back to kind of what I said about how I think 
a lot of days people feel like they're alone, but they're really not. Um, our groups are like totally the way to go. We do individual, um, consults with people and we'll do individual coaching with them, but it is so much more beneficial when you do it in a group because you have this, you have this team of people and what we found out even just from ourselves doing it is you have people that, um, that are in it with you. And it also creates this network of like other ideas, other connections, other brains besides your own that can really, um, you know, look at who you are and what your, where your strengths are, what your passions are and kind of help you think through things that you might not think about on your own. Um, and it's just, I mean, I'm just hands down a huge fan of groups. Um, it's just, it's the way to go if you're going to do it. So if you, or you've got some friends that would be interested, we would love to launch, launch some more groups with people. Cause you're doing one right now, aren't you Kelsey? I haven't started it yet. So I need to t- chat with you guys about that, but I, I really want to. And then I, you know, obviously I do it personally with y'all just on my own to set yeah. goals for next steps. So I, I'm a big fan. Hopefully I'll get to also implement it, implement their curriculum one day. Um, cause I love what they're doing. And I just, I think so highly of you and Justin and I am like spurred on and encouraged and sharpened by you guys. I think you guys are just like thought leaders in our generation. Thank you. That is so, that is very kind. Thanks for joining me today. So you, yeah. you shared the ideas collective website. Where can people, um, find you and your writing because people need to go read your words ASAP and then uh-huh. we'll all be in line when you release a book. Um, yeah, whenever that happens, that's that's still in the works. Um, my blog is meredithwboggs.com and then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. So any of those ways, reach out. I'd love to connect. Um, yeah. And if you could leave everyone with a few favorite things or resources, you know, we chatted about, you know, your favorite marriage resources, but a few favorite things, books, podcasts, whatever, what would you recommend? Um, okay. Let me pull up my book list. I keep a running list on my phone of the books that I read for the last three years. So when people say, what would you recommend for this category? I can pull it up and look, um, in terms of podcasts, um, there are I'm a big I'm a big podcast and big audiobook person, but um, podcasts that I listen to and love, um, TED Talks Business, any TED Talks, hello, they're all amazing. Um, Story Brand with Donald Miller, that's a pretty amazing podcast. Um, I cannot wait for that book to come out. And then um, along the lines of the Enneagram, The Road Back to You is a fantastic podcast. I love it. They just interview people that, you know, from different, you know, some are authors, some are speakers, um, some are business owners, and they talk about their different number and how that kind of, um, how that plays out in their, in their life and in their work. So those are podcasts that I would say are my big, are my big ones. Um, as far as books that I super love, um, anything, I mean, hello, like present over perfect, bittersweet, cold tangerines, anything. Um, Sean Quest are just fantastic books to read in general. Um, and then for people who are kind of in the already are stepping out into that entrepreneur, small business owner world, um, Traction is a fantastic book. I think it can get really overwhelming with like, oh, what's the right way to go in terms of this business or this idea? And it really clearly delineates all the different channels for 
sales and marketing and, um, and it's, and it gives you a really easy breakdown. So traction is another book that I highly recommend. Um, and then this is one book that we actually have as part of our curriculum to read for ideas collective, but essentialism is I think anyone and everyone in life should read that. Whether you're like a stay at home mom, whether you've been like in the corporate world for 30 years, it's just, I mean, it is, it's fantastic with, um, you know, just really great points to think about. Like one of the biggest takeaways is he talks about the word priority, how it, it, like when it was originally defined, it was priority, it was singular. And then we decided to make it plural. And anyway, so it's, it's, it's a fantastic read. So many, so many things. Um, yeah, that's what I would say right off the top of my head in terms of yeah, girl, I'm loving essentialism. And I had a friend um, on the episode of, or on the podcast a few weeks ago who said, at first I didn't think it was going to be for me. Like I started it. She's a seven too. So we are more is more type of people. Like more, more, more. So for a seven reading essentialism at oh my first is like, no, th- this is yeah. not for me. Like I'm not that kind of girl. Um, and then you're like, oh, wait, I think this was actually written for me. Like, (laughs) so, but really for anyone just like prioritizing and refining and having, you know, one goal versus 30. (laughs) So, um, it's really good. And yeah, road back to you podcast. I cannot echo enough. I'm going to check out the other ones, but I love the road back to you because sometimes, you know, you'll hear your number articulate some things and you're like, I kind of resonate with that, but not fully. And then you'll hear another interview with your number, another person of your number. And you're like, whoa, that's so put into words exactly like how I feel. That's exactly, I remember one on pain and I was like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm intolerant of negativity. Um, Which is another story for another day. I'm working on it. But, um, you know, just like, so, you know, sometimes people are going to experience parts of your personality that maybe you don't experience, but overall you're going to hear people put into words um, things that you never even thought to articulate. It's fascinating. Or they can articulate them in a way that you're like, yes, that's it. I just have never been able to say that. So yeah, yeah, it's so great. So Meredith, I will be linking all of your links in the show notes. I highly encourage everyone to work with um, Meredith and her husband. They are superstars and I love y'all. And um, thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks so much for having me. had such a blast chatting with Meredith today and I've linked up all of her social media outlets in the show notes. I know that you will be her biggest fan like myself. Like I said, I am her biggest fan girl. So definitely check out her own personal website, find her on Instagram and also read her articles at Radiant. I am so often challenged by her articles and reading her words make me a better human being. I love getting to read the articles each and every month at Radiant. It really does Um, light a fire in for me and challenge me to grow. So I'm so thankful for that. As always, you can find us at radiantcollective.org and radiantmagazine.org. We love connecting with you. Find us on social media outlets. It's so fun to build community with you guys. Also, if you love this show, it would mean the world for you to leave a review. That is what gets the Radiant Podcast noticed amongst newbies. And we love always inviting friends into our circle. So please leave a review. I would love to hear from you and hear feedback of how this podcast has been impactful for you. 
If you love the song on this episode, it's by one of our very own columnists, Kayla. You can find her on iTunes. That's C-A-L-A-H. And it was produced by Christian Sager. Until next week, see you guys. Professional painters know waiting between coats for trim, doors, and cabinets to dry is time out of your day and money out of your pocket. Bare Premium Cabinet and Trim Enamel from The Home Depot lets you finish faster. With excellent flow and leveling, it dries to the touch in one hour. And less dry time means less downtime. Bare Premium Cabinet and Trim Enamel, just $39.98 a gallon. And that's before the Pro Extra Discount, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Available in-store and online. 19... 21. For everyone's safety, Vermont requires a seven-day home quarantine with a negative COVID-19 test to visit this winter. 28, 29. We're also recommending you take the time to do some extra squats and lunges. 34. With reduced lift and lodge capacity, you're going to have more time to spend on the slopes. So get your legs ready. 40. Vermont in winter. It's worth the wait. One. For full COVID-19 travel guidance, visit vermontvacation.com. Five. Six.